What's up, Greg? I hate that so much. Welcome to Juicing the Numbers, your movies and entertainment podcast. Uh, I am your host, Joshua Tracing. And I'm Corwin Heller. And in this week's movie podcast, Corwin and I are talking about the 2010 film True Grit and the 2001, yes, film The Royal Tenenbaum. Corwin, are you ready to go? As ready as I'll ever be. All right. Do you want to start with uh, The Royal Tenenbaums or True Grit? Uh, I feel like I'm going to have more to say about True Grit. So, or I'm sorry, The Royal Tenenbaums. Um, so I'll let you choose depending on how you want the flow of this podcast to go. I actually also think I have more to say about the Royal Tenenbaums. So we'll do that second um, and just let True Grit be what it is. Uh, True Grit 2010, written and directed by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, uh, starring Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, and Haley Steinfeld, as well as others, I'm assuming. Uh, it was nominated for 10 Academy well, Awards. Others, I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, nominated for Best Motion Picture of the Year. Motion picture of the year. Best uh, lead actor with, for Jeff Bridges. Best supporting actress for Haley Steinfeld. Best directing. Best adapted screenplay. Best cinematography. Costume design. Sound mixing. Sound editing. And art direction. It is a period piece. Anyone who follows the Oscars know that period pieces are a beloved part of getting nominated for a bajillion Oscars. So the fact that it was nominated for 10, though did not win a single one, shouldn't be all too surprising if you, uh, keep up with these types of things anyway uh it w- had an estimated budget of 38 million it grossed cumulative worldwide 252.2 million uh so i would say this was a rousing success um it runs just under two hours long and uh there you have it folks it is for anyone unaware is an adaptation of a 1969 film which in of itself really it's the adaptation of a novel that the 1969 film was based off of um, a teenager, young teenage girl um, enlists the help of a drunk old U.S. Marshal to track down her father's murderer. Corwin, what did you think of this movie? I very much enjoyed it. I honestly going into it, I knew I was going to like it because the... um, Cohen Brothers directed, and like I said when we recorded the last podcast, that's pretty much all you need from me to enjoy a certain you know style of movie. I just love the Cohen Brothers. Um, I had tried watching this movie years ago, probably 2014, 2015, shortly after it came out. And, I mean, a couple years after it came out, but not too long after. Um, and I just, I couldn't get into it. I couldn't follow the dialogue because they use big words and my stupid little mind just could not comprehend, uh, following along with that. Uh, so I was excited to get back into it and I ended up really loving it. You know, it, it isn't a perfect movie, but as far as modern Westerns go, uh, and the expectations that tend to come along with modern Westerns. Um, I thought it was fantastic, and it's uh, definitely an underrated Coen Brothers movie, and a movie that probably deserves to be talked about uh, a lot more. Um, just for reference, my dad is a John Wayne fanboy. 
Um, to those of you that know my father, that's not really much of a surprise. It is um, not. So I asked him if he has seen True Crip before, and he's like, of course, I love that movie. And I was like, all right, which one? And he's like, oh, the John Wayne, of course. And I was like, oh, what do you think of the newer one? He's like, it's fucking awful. It's nothing like the old one. Um, and that tells you all you really got to know. Old white men who like John Wayne don't like this movie, and so young people who can appreciate John Wayne probably will. Uh, th- yeah, I, I, right I'm, I'm in the, the same boat. My dad is also a colossal John Wayne fan. I was raised very heavily on a steady diet of John Ford and John Wayne movies. Uh, True Grit being among them frequently, I'll say. Um, I gotta say, I am a huge fan of the old one. I think, despite what people's personal feelings might be on John Wayne, because he's uh, not the greatest of characters <laughs> um, in terms of actual be actually being a person, um, I do... <laughs> love that movie um i'm particularly fond of a scene that i think we'll get to in uh eventually uh but i think john wayne is uh if you're gonna watch a john wayne movie this is probably like the john wayneiest movie to watch hmm. um uh but uh, one of my notes here for true grit is this truly shows what a western would have been with modern filmmaking because for one thing it literally is a modern made western but they keep like a lot of conventions that I think is what made those old westerns really great. There's not too much going on that isn't literally what's going on. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of subtext here. Um, there really isn't even much in the way of score that's not just basic, like rousing American frontier music. Um, there's not much happening in the way of set design or anything that isn't the old timey Western town in which the film begins in. And there's not much even really in terms of plot. It's the movie is, uh, they're tracking down that guy. And, uh, that's the movie. They're that looking movie. for a lucky Ned pepper. That's the film. That was something that bothered me at first because, you know, I self-proclaimed, myself as being a fan of the narrative side of stories and i think the more we openly talk about this i realize that that's not always the case and for this it was something i was like man like there's not much going on there's not much narrative whatever it's kind of a weak story and then it's wait a sec this is a western this is what it's supposed to be and i think the reason why i loved it so much that i could never really put my my finger on until just now is like you said it it feels so authentic you know like it feels like if clint eastwood was still 25 years old you could throw him in this and it would just be a classic western and i think that's the biggest reason why i appreciate this so much is it it's kind of that nostalgic factor it feels like a fun beautifully shot western yeah, and that's one of the things that makes Westerns kind of an interesting piece of, um, I guess, art, we'll just generally call it, is that with with, with a lot of, uh, you know, like if you've got romance movies, there, there's all the subtext. What does this mean? How does this make them feel? You know, if you've got a drama movie, like you're watching Citizen Kane, it's, 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 it's a lot of what's the subtext? What is, what, is, what is all of this translating to? How are the characters growing as a result of this? 
with 90 to 95 percent of westerns that's not the case but that's part of what makes them fun is that you don't have to really be thinking that hard about what's going on here you know like if you're watching stagecoach it's like someone stopped that stagecoach and like that's the movie you know like it's and that's not to say there's no artistry behind it because like one of the things you said like you get this very like ansel adams beautiful landscape the glory of the country kind of vibe from it which is one of the reasons that makes it fun they're beautiful um they're very rugged and that makes them feel a very certain way and that's part of what makes it beautiful um it makes it a little bit challenging to discuss because i gotta be honest corwin i really don't have a lot of notes here i don't either yeah because they're really again there's not too much to dissect about it um I I have I, here. I was watching it because it was like, man, like I feel like we're not going to have a lot to talk about if I don't like find something to write down because it's a pretty straightforward movie. You see what you get, um, you get what you see. I don't know which way the idiom is supposed to go, and I just, I kind of uh, liked it both ways, honestly. Yeah. I liked that it was back to back like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, most of my notes are from the beginning because once they actually start chasing down uh, Ned Pepper, I have like nothing to say. Mm-hmm. Um. I love the negotiation scene in the very beginning with the oh, horse yeah. and the saddle. Wonderful. Um, I think the- talking about, you know, how much I like and just appreciate Haley, Haley Steinfeld's character because she's just a no nonsense, straight cut through the bullshit type of person. And I, I just loved watching her. Oh, it was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I also was a, was a huge fan of the courtroom scene. I'm a sucker for a good courtroom scene. Um, God damn it, does a good courtroom scene always feel so good to watch? Uh, and I actually think that also touches in on a big nostalgia factor. I think I think there's a lot, there's a deep history of, of, of the law in cinema that I think plays really well with the whole Western vibe. Um, so I, I also truly appreciated that. And then I my other like three notes, because I'm really running out of notes here, is Jeff Bridges is amazing, which yes, he is. Um, Rooster Cogburn is such a great character because he is exactly who they say he is throughout the entire movie and does not change. Uh, <laughs> and I truly appreciate that about him. And my last note is, man, fuck Texas because uh, Mr. Labeef's character is really on his own fucking dick about Texas. And uh, I got really fucking sick of it. <laughs> but those was- are my only notes. Such a, I don't want to say weird character because weird has some, I don't know how to describe him. He was a creep to start out this movie. Oh yeah. 100%. Man, like I, I feel like I kind of liked him at the end because he's kind of meant to be like the, oh, like this guy is the good guy out of these two. This is, this is the guy you want to root for. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, he's still trying to fuck a 14 year old girl like not not quietly like he tells her to her face like i watched you sleep and i wanted to steal a kiss but you're too fucking ugly and also delivers a very long prolonged spanking uh which got uncomfortable almost immediately Uh, oh yeah absolutely that was immediately just like well he said he was gonna do it I didn't think he'd do it. Oh, okay, here we are. This is 
Oh, Jeff Richards is watching. That's fine. Okay. Please someone end this. <laughs> yeah, he 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 is a per- so we we know who who Jeff Bridges is. He's like uh chaotic good, I guess so to speak. Um he Sharky. definitely has yeah, for sure. He he but um he's definitely doing all the I guess we'll say right things here. I don't think he does anything malicious. Um or at least nothing truly malicious. It doesn't have uh a more moral backdrop to it. Um, how would you define Matt Damon's character in this, Mr. Labeef? Because he, he is really fucking annoying and does almost nothing productive outside of, like, two things at the end. Yeah, I kind of just viewed him as the stereotype Texan. Like, he very much was a stereotype of himself where he's you know, too big for his britches. He thinks he's, you know, a guy whose shit don't stink. And that's kind of what you get from Texas and specifically Texas Rangers of old. Um, uh, You know, it, it's one of those things where I don't think he's obviously not meant to do much because that's the way you want to, you're meant to think of this character is kind of being a, oh, well, he's, he's a piece of shit who, spanks little girls that he wants to fucking bang um but i i like i want to because you said that jeff bridges was like chaotic good i'm trying to find the right spot on the spectrum for matt damon's labeef um and i feel like he's more of a, a almost a lawful i feel like he's in between lawful good and lawful neutral um just because yeah like he is a lawman he's trying to follow the law but at the same time the way he tends to go about isn't necessarily the most straight and arrow i don't know maybe that's not exactly the clearest path and it shouldn't be held against him i don't know uh, it wasn't something i th- really noticed during the movie and it's just been so long you know it's been about a week since i've seen it so it's hard to really put my finger on it again what do you think about the idea? This is something I'm just thinking about as we're talking about it now. What do you think about the idea of him uh, solely as a backdrop to make uh, the Rooster Cogburn characters seem grittier? Because Matt Damon's very much so, or I guess the Labeef character, whatever, is very much so like prim and proper and not drunk all the time and wearing clothes that aren't filthy and uh, speaking in a more refined manner. What do you think about him as a piece of basically just as a piece of scenery? Um, you know, I feel like he in theory would be really good as a um a piece of contrast, I guess. Um, but I feel like Jeff Bridges kind of is the way he is on his own. He is that character to the extent where if he wasn't in the picture, I don't think your opinion of Rooster Cogburn would be any different he kind of stands on his own um i feel like in a way if rooster cogburn wasn't there to do you know the best thing in the end do the honorable thing you would view the beef much worse um or maybe better i don't know i i'm just having such a, a hard time picturing them on their own as standalone characters without each other because I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm feeling, uh, I'm not feeling very inspired. I feel like my, uh, my thought process isn't really coming together the way I hoped. 
Yeah, well, that, that, I think that might also just be symptomatic of talking about Mr. Labeef because he really does almost nothing for 85% of the movie. Like, all he really does is, like, get in arguments with uh, Cogburn and, um, I forget Haley Steinfeld's character's name, um, uh-huh. and and then make, like, that big sniper shot at the end and mm-hmm. I guess also and knock a Tom, what's his face off of uh, Josh Brolin's character, off of uh, Haley Steinfeld at the at the, the that big rock. So outside of that one um, piece of setting where he knocks uh, uh, Tom, fuck, what, what's this goddamn character's name? Do you remember? Uh, I don't remember because he had a, a couple aliases. Yeah, I don't remember either. But that that fucking guy, that fucking guy, uh, outside of, outside of him knocking him off of uh, Haley Steinfeld, Tom, Tom Cheney. Um and uh, yeah. uh, and shooting Ned Pepper at the end, like he really, really didn't do anything. And even in like his like epilogue, where um older Maddie Ross, that's Haley Steinfeld's character's name, where older Maddie is like um narrating, she even says like, "Yeah, I haven't heard from him since then, and um, I'd like to, but uh, I haven't." And it's like, even that's oh my god, so fucking boring. What'd you think of that ending? It's really anticlimactic, and it's so, it, it's something where I felt empty after seeing the ending of this, just because it ended in such a way where, you know, like, anticlimactic endings where it just kind of ends without any fanfare or closure. It's It's rare, but it's not like it's unheard of. But I feel like, on the other hand, this was something where... It it felt like it was just about to give it to you, and then it literally vanishes, and it just it made me feel so empty. Like it was set up to where it would have a very beautifully wrapped bow around this again ending, and then it gives you nothing, and we're left with nothing, and it's just like okay, shit. So that's actually what I was eventually going to close out with with oh. this is that no 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 it's fine like like if if we're hitting it we're hitting it you know mm-hmm. um i never feel like the movie truly pays off yeah and that's my big complaint with it i know me wrong i still am a big fan of this movie i still really like this movie and i'm still going to review it pretty well when we get to the star rating part of it but <sighs> with with like, like with the big battle scene where where uh uh Rooster Cogburn charges at the the lucky Ned Pepper gang and takes him down and then gets trapped under his horse and then Labeef snipes at, snipes Ned Pepper away. And again, this is not a spoiler because not only is this movie from 10 years ago, the movie before it is from 51 years ago. So if you have not seen it, fuck you. <laughs> this is your problem. Uh, but... I'm watching it, and I don't know what was missing from it that I didn't care. Not that I didn't care, but I didn't feel like that big sense of just like relief or payoff or justice or whatever. And I think part of it's because of how fast it transitions from we killed Lucky Ned Pepper to oh shit, Maddie fell down the hole to oh no, now she got bit by the snake to oh no, now we got a runner in a town. And then cut to she's twenty five, and I I feel like all of what should have been like the really dramatic sit with you stuff, 
that makes the movie feel a certain way at certain points just kind of got bump, 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 bump. Shit, this movie's running too long. The studio told us we had to trim out 15 minutes. Like, ah, fuck, like, we got to get this stuff out of here. It's got to be under 120. We got to make it a tight 110. And I feel like it suffers from that. And I don't know if that makes the actual ending ending less satisfying where she's older. Because, again, nothing happens, like you said, in that portion. Um, Literally nothing outside of you finding out Rooster died 25 years later and that Maddie loses her arm. But I I don't know. I, I, I wasn't like the biggest fan of the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, I feel like I would have liked it a lot more if it was open-ended where they cut the movie right after he like collapses. I forget how it, uh, it, the scene actually ends, but he kills the horse, the horse collapses, it dies, and then he ends up carrying her, and then I feel like he collapses, am I right? Uh, he does. I think it's I think it's assumed he made it into town. Right. And, I feel like collapsed. it's like right at the edge of town and Yeah, there was only um lights in the background. If it ended right there, that would have been the perfect ending. At least the way it's edited now. Um it yeah, it's just that is a nice stopping point coming back all those years later, building back up into what you assume is something, and it's just like, nah. It's just, it just doesn't do it for me, man. It doesn't because there's, again, there's just no payoff. Like, oh, it's not like she gets any type of closure. One of the things that we said about this movie going into it, uh, or as we started the discussion, is like, not a lot happens. The characters don't really grow in any way. And that's very true up until the end. But that makes giving it an epilogue feel bizarre. Because Maddie, 25 years later, is seemingly the exact same person she was when she was 14. And Rooster Cogburn, you don't even get a chance to find out if he changed at all because he's just dead. And then, again, Mr. LaBeef gets a, I haven't heard from him. And that's the only acknowledgement he gets. So it really, really feels pointless. It's a, it's lovingly shot. And I think the actual final shot of her walking away from the tomb is also gorgeous. And I can't help but think it's a waste of like five or six minutes. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much sums up how I feel about that ending pretty well. The one thing, uh, just to go back to the, the fight scene, though, that I truly, truly miss and that I absolutely love about the original of this movie is the uh, the old Winchesters that John Wayne fires. Mm-hmm. And the the old winchesters that he uses in the movie are these kinds where there's like this little metal guard that runs over top your fingers like a little bit of gap like it's not like you're uh, really pressed against it and the way that you cock the the rifle is by pushing that out uh, a few degrees and then bringing it back in instead of doing like a pump action or a bolt and john wayne is charging at the lucky ned pepper gang and he has two of them one in each hand and because he doesn't have the ability to hold the gun with both hands to cock it. What he does is he does this he does this big dramatic spin move with the with the gun to get it to cock um while while moving so he can just do it with the one hand. And he's doing it with both hands, like one at a time, just kind of spinning them around and shooting. And it's fucking wonderful. <laughs> I must say. And it really adds like a little bit of flair to the whole dramatics of it all. 
And maybe that's one of the things that's missing from the new one for me that didn't really make it feel like anything because it's just four dudes shooting at each other missing a fuck ton. Um, I do uh, have but- to admit, I really love listening to you uh, describe how a lever action rifle works because it's you describing it without me watching the scene in my head just did not make sense. But like, it's a it's a lever action rifle. It's a, it's an old rifle. It's just I it did not make sense in my head trying to picture it. I didn't know it's called lever action. So thank you. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I feel I, like I, that's like turned into this. I don't want to say stereotype. Maybe it is, but like that's the cliche. Like when somebody uses a lever action rifle, they have to spin it around like that now because of how just amazing it was watching john wayne do it like 60 years ago and that's the one of the main impacts and that's honestly like the scene that comes to mind every time i do this plus robert duvall is lucky ned pepper is just oh amazing Mm -hmm. um i really don't have anything else to say about this movie um do you have anything else before we give it a, a rating you know um i have a couple little things but at the end of the day it's it's nothing major. Plot through um, them. Let me hear them. All right. If if a young 14-year-old girl, let's say, you know, you're in the situation, not you now, hired you to hunt down a killer, would you let her come? Like, would you, like, let her come along? Like, oh, she made it across the river. Let's go. Um, I, I, I think it's part of the, the Cogburn character. Because he did try his, relatively speaking, best to go on without her. But then she did it anyway. And I don't think he's good enough of a person to be like, no, go home. I'm not going forward until you're here. Or, or to even go so far as to bring her back into town. I think that speaks to his ruthless indifference that he, uh, at several points, shows. Like willing to rip out the remaining chunks of Labeef's tongue against his wishes. Because um, he thinks it might be easier for healing purposes, so I wouldn't. <laughs> I also wouldn't be hunting a man down to begin with. <laughs> but uh, I think that's just to, again to speak to how little this man gives a shit about anyone that's not himself and the whiskey in his pocket. Touche. What else? Um, that was kind of it. I also learned, you know, they talk about uh, these guys being outlaws. I learned the actual definition of outlaw. It means someone who is outside the protections of the law. So anyone can kill him. And it's just like, yeah, you did good. Way to go, kid. And they can't be, uh, they don't need a trial. They don't need jury execution or whatever. It's just, hey, they're so fucking bad. Just kill them on the spot. Get it over with. <laughs> that's uh, that's not happening anymore. No, 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 no. You no. got the ACLU all over you. Yeah, well, I mean... It can happen now. It just you got to be the right color. Yeah, or uh, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had one other thing I was going to say. What the fuck was it? God damn it! Um, I don't know. I don't fucking know anymore either. Damn, <laughs> I'm not sure if it was any good, but yeah, whatever. Uh, all right, give me give me a rating. Um. I definitely liked this better when I finished watching it than I do looking back. 
Um, I think that's just because I loved the the visual impact of the movie so much, and it's just it's it was just such an enjoyable movie. But thinking critically about it, you know, being unbiased, I'll, I'll stick. I mean, it's still a great movie. I'm going to give it a four out of five. I I'm going to be a little bit harsher than you, only because um, I struggle so much with the end of this, and it is roughly two hours, which is a lengthy point uh, a lengthy amount of time for a film that ultimately concludes in kind of an unsatisfying way um it's such an enjoyable movie to watch it's such a i don't want to call it a romp because it's too serious for that but it really is like it's weirdly easy to watch um and again if you're a fan of landscapes if you're a fan of old western vibes if you're a fan of cinematography and filmmaking in general or great acting like it has all of that um Mm -hmm. I'm going to give it probably a three out of five. Um, mostly because if you're looking for Westerns, there's so fucking many and you can find better ones than this. But I do still thoroughly. I don't think you're making a mistake by watching this. But if you were to ask me, hey, I want to watch a Western. What should I watch? This wouldn't be the go to movie for me. What is, what, what is your favorite Western? While we're on the subject. Oh, that's such a tough question. Um, Mine is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Oh, well, that's not. great. I, I think that movie is just perfect. I love that movie so much. Uh, and you certainly wouldn't be wrong. Um, the ones that jump out to me uh, off the dome are, of course, actual, literal, original True Grit. Um, because we're talking about it right now. Um, off the top of my head, I would also have to go with The Good and the Bad and the Ugly, or really any of those, uh, any of the Fistful of Dollars ser- series. They're all wonderful. Um, another John Wayne movie. I have a lot of John Wayne movies um, in my top, because again, I grew up on John Wayne movies. Um, I like so the Searchers. Search, I was going to say, The Searchers is, ah, oh, God, it's so fucking great. Um, Rio Bravo, I've also seen a bajillion times. Um, the Shootist, as for another John Wayne movie, are all great. Um, another Sergio Leone movie, Once Upon a Time in the West. Um, Jeremiah Johnson. Which one? Jeremiah Johnson. I have not seen that one. Or is that a man? Uh, it's a man and a movie. Don't know it's it. With um, Robert Redford. Oh, okay. You know the you know the gif of the bearded Robert Redford just. You know, out in the snow, looking at the camera, just smiling, just a single nod. Yeah. That's Jeremiah Johnson. Oh, well, there you go. Um, um, the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, Jimmy Stewart. It's amazing. Um, um, Outlaw Josie Wales. I do love Outlaw Josie Wales. It's a great movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop <laughs> sitting yeah. here and just naming Westerns. Just naming but... movies. Yeah, we really, we really just are. Um, but yeah, I'll give it a three out of five. Which, in my mind, again, three is like good. Three is a good, solid movie. So that's where I'm going to land with that. Um, that will bring us straight into the 2010 film, The Royal Tenen. Sorry, 2001 film. Fuck, The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, directed by Another Wes Western. Anderson. Huh? Another Western. A classic Western. <laughs> A classic city western, one of those city westerns. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, written, directed by Wes Anderson, written by Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson, 
It was nominated for a single Oscar uh, for writing for Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson. So if anyone ever asks you, does Owen Wilson have an Oscar nomination? Yes, he does. Shockingly so for writing something I did not know he did before I got into Wes Anderson movies. Um, Starring Gene Hackman, Angelica Houston, Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, Luke and Owen Wilson, Bill Murray, Danny Glover, um, and Alec Baldwin as the narrator, among others, I assume. That's a great cast. <laughs> uh, it's a phenomenal cast. The estimated budget for this film was $21 million. It had a cumulative worldwide gross of $71.4 million. So a relative, uh, relatively good success. Mm-hmm. Um, it also runs at the, at the exact same runtime as True Grit, 110 minutes. It centers around a eccentric family of dysfunctional family reluctantly gather around under the same roof for various reasons, um, and that's what it says on IMDb. Corwin, what do you think of this movie? Uh, I really enjoyed it. I mean, like True Grit, Wes Anderson, the director, has such a distinct visual style that it kind of overshadows the rest of what he does well with filmmaking. Um. I mean, his camera work is fantastic. Uh, I love his framing. Composition is always phenomenal with him. Um, My biggest note is probably that, you know, it's such a technically, I don't want to say perfect, but such a technically unique and just fantastic film that I am often distracted from the finer narrative points of the movie because... I'm so focused on looking at, you know, the composition, the lighting, the framing, the camera movements, the character movements, uh, you know, just the little subtle things that if you were just half paying attention, you wouldn't really see. Just I'd I'd love him as a director. Um, I, I don't know if he would ever be. I don't know if he would ever direct like one of my all time favorites movies but at the same time i don't think he would ever direct a movie that i could say that i truly hated um he's just so consistently good at what he does and what he does is so fun to watch um that when he is at his best you end up with the royal tannenbaums fun fact uh scott rudin direct uh produced both true grit and the royal tannenbaums damn how funny is that that is very funny. What a coincidence. Yeah, truly. And we did not plan this. Uh, this would be, uh, if we were smart, this is where we would have our interview with that guy because we planned this ahead. But Coming to the stage, Scott <laughs> Rudin. Um, anyway. Showed up when he this, did that. Yeah, magically so. He appeared at the bottom of your screen. Just kidding. This is audio format, folks. Um, in case you were wondering. Uh, anyway. This is an interesting film because it's firstly, it's the first what I'll call Wes Anderson E film. So if you watch Wes Anderson's previous two films to this, which are his first two films, um, Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, they are nothing like what we know Wes Anderson films to be now, which are like very particularly curated color palettes and uh, a lot of uh, symmetrical shots. Um, a lot of strenuous detail in what's happening. Not that those two films lack that, but it's not nearly to the same extent as what you get here. Um, like, this is very much of the precursor to everything else that eventually follows. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see it kind of take shape here. Um, I have so many notes about so many of the actors because I just think this film is so well cast. My fir- The first note I have written down here is, God, I miss Gene Hackman. Um, <laughs> he's not dead. He just retired. And wow, every time I watch him, um, watch him in a scene, I realized how much I missed watching him do things. Um, what do you think about the the royal? Ten- that's his that's his name in the character Royal Tenenbaum. What do you think of the Royal Tenenbaum character in this? Um, I at the end of the movie, I appreciated what he'd done, but he's such a piece of shit throughout the rest of the movie. It's hard when like you're not emotionally involved with his character to like forgive that you know like it i wanted to forgive him because you know he showed character development he improved as a person um he tried to right his wrongs and do things for the right reasons but at the end of the day like man still a piece of shit you know and he spent 99 percent of his life being a piece of shit um I don't know. It, it's one of those things where my I I'll start off with saying I very much enjoyed this movie. I I I very much liked this movie. I don't want to say love, that's a big commitment word. Um but the biggest qualm I have with it is the character development just seems so sudden and without any any conflict. It's just Every time a character would go from being, oh, this is the one-sided negative aspect of them to, oh, shit, I'm over that now. Time to be better. It was just so immediate. It's like there was one major event, and then we're moving past it, and we're going to be a better person from now on. And it just, you know, it happened with Gene Hackman to probably the least extent. Um, no, even then it's a singular event and it's like, oh shit, I'm going to be better now. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be a good ex-husband and support my ex-wife. And it just, it just distracted me from so many of the other better things about this that like, you know, visually my opinion is known. I just said it, but as far as, you know, the story and the character development, it, it was, it was distracting. I am going to take the opposite opinion of you. I actually am a huge fan of the character development in this film. Um, and I think it, it's most obvious with Gene Hackman because he occupies so much of the screen time. He is the main character. <laughs> um, he tries... His, his, his intention at the beginning of the film, I think, is uh, good. He wants to be a more present father in some respects. He wants to, um, he has feelings towards his wife in some way. He doesn't really spend time reflecting upon what that is. He doesn't really spend time reflecting on what the best way it is to reconnect with his children. And he chooses to do it in the way he's lived his life the entire time he's lived his life, which is like a complete piece of shit and lying to them and being an asshole and manipulating them and going to great extents to make his lies seem as realistic as possible and double down as frequently as he can on being a bad person. Um, See, I, also- I, I disagree with that, though. 
I feel like the only reason he's doing this is because he's out of money and is being evicted, not because he wants to, you know, rekindle the flames of, you know, his family life and his marriage. It's just he has no other option, so he's going to use his manipulation to get back in with the family. Um, I was about to get to that, yeah. Okay. All right. Sorry I cut you off. No, that's okay. Uh, I was going to say, a lot of it comes from the fact that he is being uprooted from his lifestyle, but at the same time, that's not an uncommon way for change to come about when it's forced upon you. And I think he's a pretty shitty guy that comes to the realization when he's put in the environment that he actually does care a lot more than he had anticipated. And that's one of the uh, the narrated lines from uh, Alec Baldwin that when he does eventually get kicked out of the uh, the historic Tenenbaum house, um, and he says these were the best what, six days or six some days. shit. Uh, of my life that like he realized he actually meant it and that was a big turning point for him and it happens gradually like he realizes that he can't be a dick and win as he has literally never done he's lost seemingly every single aspect of his life from his assholishness and he's maybe suddenly coming to the realization of it now that he's been kicked out of his home a second time after falsing his his uh, falsing an illness um he does slowly start to realize that he has to come to terms with who he is and who he's been and that he can't brute force his way through making through manipulation anymore. And he has to do things like actually make an attempt at being there for his kids and actually make an attempt at finding a job and not being a freeloader. And he comes to these throughout stages throughout the film. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could look at it like that. It's just, <laughs> it seems so sudden. Like, it just, the intentions from the start seemed purely selfish and basically is every act of his is selfish in nature, in my mind. And the root goal of every action is to better his standing in the family so that he can essentially stay in that Tenenbaum house until Richie tries to kill himself. And even then, it's it's just there's no conflict outside of these specific instances for each character that there's no payoff to the development in the end. Like, you don't see any growth with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's Margot until Richie kills himself. Even then, she is very standoffish. And then they meet up in the tent, and oh, she is a completely different character afterwards. Ben Stiller's character, you know, his kids almost get hit by a car, the dad saves them, the dog dies. Completely different character after. It's just, there's no... There's no gratification from the change because it just is almost instantaneous. And that's the reason why I have issue with it. Uh, I just, you, you know, you go through some movies and there's this gradual change and it's little things that build up and they're making conscious choices. And, you know, it's like, oh, okay, they're growing, they're getting better step by step. They've earned this. 
Here it's just kind of instant gratification that doesn't leave any actual lasting gratification. See, I, again, I don't know about that because they 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 address a lot of where these characters end up going throughout the film. Like speaking specifically on the Richie and what's going to call Mar- Margot um, characters, they they mention frequently how both of them have certain feelings. Richie, like off the in like the first scene he's in, either narrated or dictated, I forget which one it was. They mention his feelings towards Margot. Um, mm-hmm. And Margot's in a loveless marriage, and she's not writing. She's uninspired. She's uh, we later find out constantly cheating on her on her husband. She's cheating on him with Eli, the best friend character. And then we find out that one of the reasons they had gotten together was that they she really just thought of Richie when she was with him, and like that's all they ended up talking about. That was the catalyst for the relationship. And I I will agree that everyone does change. Uh, see the most dra- drastic change after the big events, but I'd also argue that, like, that's, I mean, that's the big events. That's the point of them. And, and if there's ever going to be a time for a big change, it's after big events. Richie, Richie's attempted suicide in there forces Margot to really consider how she values him and how she looks at him, how she looks at him, because. She has to accept a world that, or the possibility of a world without him in an even greater extent than was there when he was floating around the world on his boat. And Richie had already been living in the world where he didn't have Margot because she got married and moved on with her life. And his suicide attempt is largely just based upon the fact, or, or based upon the the constant swelling of emotions he's he's had around her. We saw that when he found out she got married, he ruined his career, his tennis career. He blew up on the court, mm-hmm. killed his career, so to speak. And once the, the day he finds out that she's been cheating on her husband with all of these people, she's had so many lovers over the course of, uh, over that marriage, um, that none of which were him, and all, and some of which included his best friend, he had another blow up and attempted to kill himself. He's shown that volatility already. So I wouldn't even take that as being that big of a surprise. Um, when it comes to Ben Stiller's character, he's clearly, it's addressed that he's, his paranoia is born out of not, or not born in reality. The moment he walks into his mother's house when he's talking about the sprinklers and she was like, we don't have any sprinklers here either. And he was like, we'll fix it. Um, and him having to address how aggressively protective he's being beyond what's normal comes about when, yeah, when fucking, what's his goddamn name? Eli crashes his car into the side of his parents' house, nearly killing his kid, killing his kid's dogs, and then he chases him through the entire wedding party, through the entire house, just to scuff him up a little bit, and having to address the fact that he is probably being overly protective and overly sensitive at which point uh royal comes to help him grapple with his emotions to at least some relative extent so i will agree that everyone's pivots are relatively large and quick but i wouldn't say any of them are truly unwarranted i mean i i never tried to i think i think i didn't try and argue that it was unwarranted just that I didn't get the gratification from it because it was very sudden. You know, I, you know, you still see these changes and 
there's all very good reasons for why these characters are changing. And don't get me wrong, sudden realizations that come about, you know, with drastic changes in character are, you know, that happens in real life. You know, people have these epiphanies, these um, life-changing moments. And it's just, this is the only complaint I have about the movie. And so I'm taking it in stride and just running with it. Um, I loved every other aspect of this movie. You know, I, I love the overall motif of coming together as a family and, you know, putting aside differences and uh, using each other to kind of mend relationships. I, I love all that. It's just this one tiny little aspect about how these changes come about really just didn't, didn't do it for me. Didn't, didn't get the job done and just was kind of, you know, that's it. This is the only thing I don't like about this movie. All right. What do you think the fake cigarette budget of this movie was? Oh man. Um, how much uh, was the total budget? Uh, let me, let me double check that figure, but I believe we come in right around 21 million. Mm, mm. Uh, I'd say probably 20.5. Oh my God. Like every single, there's not this much smoking in movies anymore. It's insane. There's not this much smoking in real life anymore. Uh, you're not wrong. <laughs> I, oh my, like, Oh Jesus. It's, it's aggressive. It is an aggressive amount of fake cigarette smoking. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, God. Which feels, but what I'm saying is like it feels weird because like I'm so used to it in movies that like take place in the 50s or are from literally the 50s, but it's so weird to see in a movie that like takes place and is from 2001. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why it threw me off so much. Not that I don't think it fit like their characters, but goddamn, it was weird seeing such an aggressive amount of also indoors cigarette smoking. Um, does it like, is there a clear time period when this is supposed to take place or is this just 2001, whatever? I would just assume 2001. Yeah. Uh, I was going to go somewhere with that, but then I realized that smoking indoors was totally a thing in 2001. And that was like 10 years later that it became a, a taboo thing. So yeah, there's my point. That's a good one, Corbin. Good job. <laughs> Solid buddy. Uh, what do you think of Danny Glover's character? Because I also wrote down how much I miss watching him do things on movies. He was like the only genuinely good person from the start. Like, you know, every other character, every one of the Tenenbaums and, you know, close cohorts were assholes to start out this movie. And, you know, that's kind of the point. But like Danny Glover is just like this really nice guy that just happens to be caught up in the middle of it. And he's the only one that, like, granted, everyone else is going from very bad to decently okay, fairly good at the end. But, like, he's just, he stands true, man. He's he's a good fella. Actually, that's an interesting, uh, let's talk real quick about um, what's uh, the, the matriarch, Ethelene mm-hmm. um, Tenenbaum. Because I constantly forget all of the scenes she's in. Because she doesn't... Re- I would say she's not an asshole because I would say she doesn't do anything in the movie other than 
mm-hmm. deliberate over whether or not to marry Danny Glover, which is really just serving as a catalyst for some of the ensuing events. What I, do you I think mean, about her character? She's a side character. I mean, through and through. Like the only reason she's considered a part of the main cast is she shares that name and relationship with the rest of the main characters. Um, I mean, she doesn't go through any major change. She doesn't really change as a character throughout. She is never inherently a bad person. She's never inherently a good person. She's just kind of there because they need a, a like you said, a matriarchal character. How do you feel about her character? Would you rather have seen more of her? or do you, Are you comfortable and feel uh, content with how much you got? I was totally comfortable with seeing the amount of whatever her name was, uh, Angelica Houston, as we got. What was the name of her character? Ethelene? Ethelene, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is, I want to sit here and say that, you know, I wish she had more to do because I love Angelica Houston. I think she's a lovely actress. Um, Mm -hmm. She's very good at what she does. And I think she's wonderful in this. But at the same time, I think if we had yet another character having to go through a big transformation in some kind of way, it might have been too much. Yeah, Um, I I think the mild backdrop that she that, that she provided is honestly all I really needed from her. And mm-hmm. I feel almost bad saying that. I mean, as is, there was almost too many characters to get any real significant depth for any more than one or two of them. Um, and that was, I guess that was one of the other complaints I had, but kind of tied into that character development is just, the, there wasn't a whole lot of depth to the characters until the very end. They were very one-dimensional. As, you know, They had their unique, qualifying characteristic and that was kind of that um and i feel like if you gave and you know angelica houston any more screen time it just would have accentuated that speaking of uh, on on again character development in this film i would say the one character that i don't think we get enough of uh in terms of okay. development whether it's sudden or otherwise is the bill murray character yeah or Bill Murray's character. There's not a Bill Murray character. It's Bill Murray playing a man. Because um, he, he gets like a fair amount of screen time for a guy that at the beginning of the movie is trying to write a book about a psychological uh, phenomenon that he's discovering. And at the end of the movie has written the book about the psychological phenomenon he's working on discovering. Um, without really much change in between at least not much of anything that i saw what do you think about the raleigh st Clair character uh him and dudley are by far my favorite two characters and my favorite aspect they are just i mean it's bill murray so it's what you expect he's absolutely hilarious in every scene he's in well except for the one in the hospital that one's pretty sad but um i thought dudley was absolutely hysterical um i mean you could say this about almost all of Wes Anderson, but just the natural comedic timing that he shows throughout the film is uh, probably the most underappreciated and under-talked about aspect of his filmmaking. I mean, like everyone focuses on the color palettes, on, you know, the technical aspects of his film, but he just has a way with this timing of dialogue and character expression where it's magical how funny it is just inherently. Um, and those two especially were just perfect in this movie. I, I agree. As as um, 
vehicles for comedic relief. Perfect. I think if there was just one scene of Bill Murray moving on with his life in some way that wasn't just the, and his book got published and now they're touring. Um, I would feel as though the, the bow was put on that loose end, but uh, I'm definitely not going to complain about the characters. I fucking love those two characters together. They're wonderful. I would uh, love a spinoff buddy, not buddy cop, but like buddy adventure movie with just St. Clair and Dudley. Oh, I would watch the shit out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Murray, a big part of why Wes Anderson is successful in the first place. He asked to be in um, Rushmore, the the second Wes Anderson film, and really gave a lot of clout to that film um, and really allowed it to get as much attention as it ended up getting and then ultimately led to Bill Murray being in basically every Wes Anderson film and a lot of Wes Anderson's later success. So. Bill Murray, a huge part of the Wes Anderson filmmaking experience. I, I honestly can't think of a post Rushmore movie that Bill Murray hasn't been in. Uh, again, I'm not really sure there is one. I mean, is he in the Digitaline Unlimited? Whatever, I forgot the name of it. Darjeeling Unlimited. I don't recall offhand, but again, I'm just gonna assume yes. <laughs> Um. Anyway, uh, hmm. What are, do you have any? Do you have any points that we have yet he to? Is actually. Uh, huh? He's he's in the Darjeeling Limited. Again, not surprised. What are some of the? Do you have any other notes really about this film? I think we covered a lot of like the 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 major themes. This film, just real quick before I let you answer the question, I literally just fucking asked you. Um, <laughs> it's. I was thinking about it. Um after watching true grit because i feel like it's very like true grit in the sense where it's these events unfurling but not a lot of subtext which i think is actually weird for a film like this where there's usually a lot of subtext but the characters are pretty stripped down to their bare essentials there's not a lot of depth behind mm-hmm. any of the characters, which I think is fine. I think it works really well in the film because um, that it's more about them as a whole than it is about them individually and giving any of the characters more depth would involve this movie probably being like an hour longer. Um, but there's, I don't have too many like plot-based notes or, or like thematic notes because it just kind of moves forward in the... Uh, in a in a western style way it just kind of marches straight on towards the end um which i do like but it, it again they left me without really having much written on my notebook uh i have a ton of technical notes um also before i go into it uh, i just looked it up bill murray is in every single wes anderson movie uh besides bottle rocket um, perfect just, love it yeah little little easter egg for you um yeah, I mean, I have a ton of technical notes. Um, love the use of just the wide-angle lens, single shot, just perfectly, you know, framing the character uh, amongst the the scene. Um, he really gives you a chance to just uh, appreciate the little details of you know the actor's body language, their movement. Um, speaking of which, there's very little camera movement, and when it is, it's very simple. A ton of tripod shots. I just, you know, very steady camera uh, in a singular spot, 
pans here, tilts there, very simple movement. Doesn't distract you with that movement and just lets you appreciate the the very well put together uh, composition in front of you. Um, that's why I love him so much. Uh, you know, everything's framed within frames. Um, it's just it, I I can't help but notice these things. It's it's what I watch when I watch Wes Anderson. Um, that and the you know I said about the comedic timing with the one-liners are just fantastic in this um i mean they're fantastic in every wes henderson movie but uh was there any that like you still remember that stick out to you uh uh dudley pointing out all the dents in the taxi (laughs) that is by far one of my favorite scenes um my favorite was a almost a complete throwaway um when Royal gets kicked out. Uh, I've, what was the name of the butler? I, I forget that off the top of my head. Pagoda? Pagoda, yeah. Um, <laughs> he fucking just stabs him out of nowhere. And Royal just goes, that is the last time you stick a knife in me. Love and it. And never make reference to the fact that Pagoda stabbed him multiple times again. Oh, I love that. Um, there's so many little things, you know, like, there's a lot of character-defining one-liners, too. Uh, like, I wrote a bunch of them down. Like, for Margot, um, uh, Riley St. Clair, they're in the hospital. He's like, hey, you nearly killed your brother. And she's just like, yeah, it fucking doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, Royal talking to his grandsons for the first time at the basketball courts. Uh, I'm very sorry for your loss. Your mother was a terribly attractive woman. Um, as if that is the only thing he bothers to remember about her. Um, I don't know. It's just little things that I noticed and appreciated. And, um, I think, uh, Anderson does well when he writes these movies. So I have a couple of pieces of trivia. If you'd like to hear them. I'd love to, uh, Gene Wilder turned down the role of Royal Tenenbaum. Why does it say? Uh, he, he had officially, um, in his mind been retired and didn't feel like breaking his retirement. Um, I could definitely see Gene Wilder doing it and doing it well. I think it'd be a totally different movie. Yeah, definitely would be different. wildly different, but actually um, that is one of my, my very few notes here about Gene Hackman's performance in this because he brings so much, um, what's the word I used for him in particular? Um, I can't find it, and I don't feel like sitting here and reading. But he and oh, very enigmatic. He he's Ooh, so describe what that word means, huh? Please describe what that word means. I I don't know if I've heard that before. Um, he it difficult to interpret or understand and mysterious. That is the dictionary definition. Um, and he has a weird. He just has this weird energy about him. He's he's likable. Because he delivers his lines with like a lot of mustard, um, he's dislikable because of literally everything he does for the first like hour of this movie. Um, he has like a lot of intrigue behind him. Um, he's he brings so much to the character of Royal that I think if it was a different person, it would be either too in the goofball direction that it wouldn't be able to be taken seriously, or too stern that a lot of the silliness of the character wouldn't come through. 
So I really like Gene Hackman, um, particularly in this. But that's um, that. I liked him. I mean, I'm not the biggest Gene Hackman fan uh, in the world. You know, I definitely don't appreciate him the way you do. Um, but have I mean, you ever seen the conversation? I'm sorry. Have you ever seen the conversation? Yes. Ah, oh. very, very good in that. Love that fucking movie. Um, do you you want to know? I don't know why, but the movie I think of when I you know someone says or brings up Gene Hackman is Behind Enemy Lines. Oh, that's a great movie though. First time, every time. I mean, that, that's fucking. I always think of either. Um, the conversation or the French connection, but those are kind of like basic bitch Gene Hackman movies. Actually, yeah. you know what? Also one of the first movies that comes to mind when I think of Gene Hackman. And I actually think about it periodically while I was watching this movie is, um, welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> Have really? you ever seen it? No, it is his last movie. It is not good. <laughs> um, he plays the mayor of a town called Mooseport, um, where, um, Ray Romano, also lives or just moves to some shit like that and they have like a mayoral race um or like gene hackman's like the like the old guard and ray romano has all these bright ideas or some shit like that and uh fuck it's not good (laughs) but it was one of the first gene hackman movies i saw because it came out in like oh four um and i thought i saw it in theaters it was i remember playing on tv a bunch when i was a kid and i would watch it because it was a movie and i was a kid and it was a comedy with Ray Romano, that guy from Everyone Loves Raymond. And it had Gene Hackman in it. And that was the first movie I saw with Gene Hackman. And I always think about it when I see him. Fair enough. Fair enough. He won the election by one vote because he didn't vote for um, his, uh, his opponent. He voted for himself and he lied about it. And that's how the movie ends. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert for Welcome to Mooseport. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, also, uh, another piece of trivia, just because I, I thought it was interesting. Uh, the original Hawk used to play Mordecai, was kidnapped during shooting and held for ransom. The production crew could not wait for him to be returned, so the beard that appears at the end of the film that has more white feathers it's is a different, different bird. bird. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, I... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess they played that off really well with, you know, writing around that, but like who steals a bird? Yeah, yeah, I know. How? How do you steal a bird? Uh I don't know. You're asking a guy who's never stolen a bird before. Fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. Um do you have any other final points on the Royal Tenenbaums? Um Man, I don't know. Like, I was very negative about the whole character development thing. Um, but I mean, I do got to say, I I still very much enjoyed this movie. Um, I, it, yeah. I mean, no, I'll stop it there. I don't want to just ramble on where I don't really say anything of note. That's fun. I mean, we spent a lot of time talking about that because it was the thing that we disagreed upon. It's not like we're going to sit here yeah. and just name all the things we like about it and just jerk each other off about how great they are. That's no fun. Um, give me, give me your, your rating then. And we'll, uh, we'll wrap up. I still think this is a four out of five. I still think it's a very, very good movie. Uh, yeah, I agree. I give this a four out of five as well. This is never the Wes Anderson movie that first comes to mind for me. Cause I usually either think of 
um, the Grand Budapest Hotel because it feels just so incredibly Wes Anderson-y or Rushmore because it's personally my favorite. Um, but this is one of my favorites. I put it right up there um, it, with, with those three in terms of it. I I always, always have a strong emotional reaction to the end. Uh, um, I don't know. I don't, again, I don't particularly know why. It, it just hits the right chords with me. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm also going to give it four out of five. Um, I don't know what it's missing. Maybe it's some of the things Corwin said. Maybe it's something we haven't talked about that that misses out on that last star um, or even that last half a star. But it's a su- it's such a good movie. I I think um, it's accessible in a lot of the a lot of ways that that um, I don't know where I was going with that sentence. <laughs> I think it's really accessible. I I think it's easy for anyone to sit down and watch it. It's not like high art like you're watching like gold door or some shit like that some weird french shit so yeah um that's all i got you got anything else before we finish out corwin uh what's your movie for next week oh shit that's right i have it picked out i wanted to go with one i hadn't seen before since so far i'd only picked movies i've already seen um and i'm gonna pick a current movie and i'm gonna pick uh uh the peanut butter falcon Ooh, um, okay I, I, it's a Shia LaBeouf vehicle, apparently, um, or at least he's in it. That's how I heard about it because I was a big fan of Honey Boy that came out earlier this year and I wanted to watch some more Shia LaBeouf. So the Peanut Butter Falcon is my movie. Corwin? Uh, I had one picked out. Part of me want to now pick Honey Boy so that we could just double up on Shia LaBeouf. I would not mind. I've been meaning to rewatch it. But I'm going to stick with my original one because I already wrote it down. Um, I'm going with Collateral, Michael Mann from 2004. Okay. All right. Right on. I dig it. All right. So we got Collateral and the Peanut Butter Falcon. Um, I also, if we don't end up reviewing it, Honey Boy is a phenomenal watch. I absolutely loved it. If uh, if you haven't seen it out there, I highly recommend it. Yes, it is. And it is worth the hour and 45 or whatever it is. Spend the time. I know you got it. We all got time. Watch the fucking movie, you punk bitch. Um, All right. Anything else? Nope. All right. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. If you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And until Monday, y'all have a good one. Bye.